0: Hey, this is Dave DeCamp from antiwar.com, and this is anti war news for Wednesday, October 19th, 2022. The first story at the top of antiwar.com today a Ukraine aid may be more difficult to pass in a Republican controlled House. So, House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy, he is a Republican from California, the top Republican in the House. He suggested on Tuesday that major Ukraine aid may be more difficult to pass in the House if it is controlled by Republicans after the upcoming midterm elections. McCarthy said, quote, I think people are going to be sitting in a recession and they're not going to write a blank check to Ukraine. They just won't do it. End quote. So while spending billions on this war in Ukraine still has pretty strong bipartisan support back in May, when they passed that $40 billion Ukraine aid bill, 57 house Republicans voted against it. And there's said to be more Republicans questioning this policy, uh, which is really a blank check uh, with no oversight. Um, And McCarthy he He's been pretty outspoken in his support for Ukraine and other Republican leadership, you know, Mitch McConnell over in the Senate, um, and and the heads of the the foreign policy committees. I mean, they're all totally gung- ho about supporting Ukraine. But it does seem like I mean, when you start talking about the the just the numbers here, I mean so far with the the latest aid that they passed in this stopgap funding bill, it brings it to over $67 billion to spend on this war in less than a year. So I think when you just bring things up to that level, more people will question it. Um, and unfortunately, uh, only Republicans voted against the $40 billion aid bill. Democrats voted for it. Um, so Rep. Uh, Michael McCall, uh, he's a Republican from Texas, and he's the top Republican on the House Foreign Affairs Committee. He seemed to downplay McCarthy's comments and said that he believes the concerns are more over the lack of oversight. Um, And there still is virtually no oversight for the tens of billions of dollars that have been sent to Ukraine, which cover not only military aid, but also direct funding of the Ukrainian government. Ukrainian government is totally reliant on this aid from the U.S. as well as from the EU and, and the U.K., but the U.S. by far is the biggest contributor. Um, McCall said, "Quote: I think there is still broad bipartisan support for the effort. I think he's just saying we're going, we're not going to write a blank check without oversight and account and accountability, which my committee will be providing." End quote. So I keep we've been hearing for a while now that there's going to be more oversight with this aid, but I haven't seen many concrete steps in that direction. Um, the punch bowl. Uh, so. McCarthy made these comments to Punchbowl News, um, which is a news outlet. And they said in their report that if Republicans win the majority in the House or the Senate, it could prompt the Biden administration to press for a full year of Ukraine aid to be approved during the lame duck period. So that would be the time from the midterm elections to the time they come into office uh, the following year. So um, I think that that's probably, there's a good chance that that could happen. And then uh, that, because they've been passing this Ukraine aid in increments, the $40 billion was the biggest one, but that wasn't for a full year. Um, you know, they're really looking at big money for for an entire year, possibly more than $67 billion is what they want. Um, but who knows? I mean, you know, I'll believe it when I see it, if there is real opposition to this policy uh, in a Republican-controlled House. Uh, All right. The next one here: Zelensky says that Russia has destroyed 30% of Ukraine's power stations. So Zelensky said this on Tuesday um, and said that 30% of Ukraine's power plants have been destroyed since Russia began launching strikes against energy infrastructure across the country last week. And he says it's caused massive blackouts across the country. Um, And this is, this came after Russia started launching these attacks after the bombing of the Kerch bridge, which connects Crimea to the to mainland Russia. Um, and Putin warned that the strikes would continue in response to more what he calls Ukrainian terror attacks and Russian attacks on energy infrastructure. They continued on Tuesday, and Ukrainian officials reported strikes caused power outages and cut off water supplies in certain areas and you know heat is something that people are concerned with with th- they're losing their power and losing their heat as the winter is coming so it's just a really bad situation for people in Ukraine a spokesman for Ukraine's emergency services said that over 1000 Ukrainian villages and towns remain without power since Russia's bombardment began last week zelensky also said on tuesday that there was no space left for negotiations with putin's with uh with putin and In response to Putin annexing the Ukrainian territory that's under Russia's control, Zelensky signed a decree ruling out peace talks with Russia as long as Putin is the president. And in the face of these increased Russian strikes on Ukraine and this more destruction, the U.S. has reiterated that it plans to support Ukraine for the long term and has shown no interest in pursuing diplomacy. The Washington Post reported last week that U.S. officials have ruled out pushing Ukraine to negotiate with Russia, even though they don't believe either side could win the war outright. So they don't really think Ukraine can win, but I shouldn't laugh, but they don't think Ukraine could win, but they're also not going to push for a negotiated solution. All right. So the next one here, uh, Ukraine says that it will formally request air defenses from Israel. Uh, Ukraine's foreign minister, Dmitry Kuleba, he said that Ukraine is going to formally ask Israel to provide air defense systems amid a flurry of Russian strikes on Ukrainian infrastructure. Up to this point, Israel has not provided Ukraine with weapons, and Israeli officials say that that policy won't change in light of Kuleba saying this. An Israeli official told Ynet that sending military aid to Ukraine won't happen, uh, at least in the near future. But they're still expected to make the request uh, when Kuleba speaks with Israeli Prime Minister Yair Lapid, and that call is scheduled for Thursday. But in another sign that Israel is not keen on supporting Ukraine with military aid, Haaretz reported that Israel rejected a request from Ukraine to hold a call between Israeli Defense Minister Benny Gantz and his Ukrainian counterpart. And Kuleba also said Tuesday that he was submitting a proposal to Zelensky to to cut diplomatic ties with Iran over their alleged support for Israel. Russian kamikaze drones rained down on Kiev on Monday that Ukraine and Ukraine and the U.S. um, say that these drones were provided by Iran, although both Moscow and Tehran deny that. Um, So they're still denying that these are Iranian drones, the Russians and the Iranians are. And Reuters reported on Tuesday, citing unnamed Iranian officials. So uh, this is Reuters saying they have Iranian sources on this, saying that Iran has agreed to provide Russia with drones and surface-to-surface missiles, but the report is not confirmed. It's the only place I saw it. And then the Pentagon responded to it and said that they don't have information to corroborate the claims made in the report. The US, the UK, and France, they plan to raise the issue of the alleged Iranian drone transfers to Russia at the UN Security Council on Wednesday, and Ukraine has invited UN experts to inspect what they say are downed Iranian drones. Uh, but it, it is interesting um, you know, that Israel, they still haven't given any, they're not giving any weapons to Ukraine. You know, They're not uh, falling in line with the, the U.S. on this one. All right, the next one here is from Kyle Anzalone at the Libertarian Institute. The Ukraine food export deal is in jeopardy as Moscow demands the West to live up to its commitments. So this grain deal that was brokered by Turkey and the UN and agreed to between Ukraine and Russia has been a pretty major success since it's been agreed to uh it unlocked Ukraine's Black Sea ports and grain and foodstuffs has been shipping out of there uh, back to pre-war levels, which sounds pretty significant. But uh, Russia is saying that they might not extend it because there was another aspect of the deal. And it was that they got it a an agreement, I guess from the UN that there would work would be done to ease restrictions on Russia selling its own, grain, and fertilizer. And Russia is saying that this commitment, they haven't lived up to it. Um, So the US sanctions on Russia and other Western sanctions on Russia technically have exemptions for things like fertilizer and food. But as always happens with sanctions, as I talk about a lot, especially um, with Iran, when we talk about how sanctions can cause the shortages of certain medicines. You know, they technically have exemptions for this stuff, but the sanctions just deter uh, international banks and businesses from doing any kind of business with the countries that are targeted by sanctions, especially when it comes to shipping. Because if, if Russia is under sanctions, a Russian ship is entering an EU port, that means, I guess, that they have to inspect it to make sure that it's not sanctioned goods That there. It just really slows everything down. And there were some... The U.S., there were reports that said the U.S. has been trying to encourage the purchase of Russian fertilizer and issue more waivers for it. It, it doesn't seem like there's been um, other any other big steps in that direction. Uh, but hopefully, you know, this deal uh, is going to expire. Um, but hopefully um, they agree to extend it. Ukraine is saying that they want to extend it. Um, so hopefully that happens. All right, Um, so that's it for the Ukraine-Russia stuff. Um, So I will take this moment again to mention that it is our fundraiser still, and we have matching funds up to $31,000, but we need to raise that amount in individual donations, and that's where we need your help. Um, And this has given us a nice boost, and even just the first day that we announced the matching funds, we had a pretty good influx of donations. Um, But please, uh, you know, we... This is how antiwar.com gets by. We we are entirely reader funded. And you see what we're up against when we talk about all this spending on the war in Ukraine. And there's also the whole other aspect of it of all the think tankers that write articles and foreign policy in the Atlantic, and they're all funded by um, the defense industry. And and it, you know, we don't get big money like that to do what we do, so we need people to support us, and that's Uh, people that read antiwar.com and the people that listen to this show. So please uh, go to antiwar.com slash donate, and you can find all the ways that you can support us. And again, I got to mention our great endorsements, John Mearsheimer, Colonel Douglas McGregor, and Noam Chomsky. They all said to donate to us. So I think that's a pretty impressive group and you should listen to them. And also Kelly Vlahos wrote us a letter who uh, is the, Editorial Director of Responsible Statecraft. Um, So, yeah, do it. Go to antiwar.com slash donate. Okay, so the next one here, Blinken, the Secretary of State, he has claimed that China wants to take Taiwan on a faster timeline. So this was, uh, he made these comments at an event at Stanford University, I believe. Um, Really just, you know, we hear a lot of scaremongering around the idea of a taiwan of an invasion of taiwan but blinken you know he didn't offer any evidence for this claim but he did say that china has you know changed its view changed its approach to taiwan in recent years um so now i mean a lot of people responded to this warning by saying that the us needs to you know do more to prepare for war with China over to Taiwan. But it's important to to note here that um, that there has been an increase in Chinese military activity around Taiwan, but that was clearly that came in direct response to Nancy Pelosi visiting Taiwan and other members of Congress and U.S. governors and all this increased U.S. support for Taiwan. It's very clear if you follow this at all, that that's what that was a response to. And <clears throat> Xi Jinping, the Chinese president, he reiterated Beijing's policy on Sunday, which is that this is they say that they seek what they call pre- peaceful reunification, but they do not rule out the use of force as an option. And Xi warned against outside interference over the issue. And other Chinese officials have explicitly warned that more U.S. support for what they call Taiwan's independence forces could lead to war. And now while Blinken has accused China of changing its approach to Taiwan, it is clear that the US has changed its policy toward the island in recent years. And now and they now view Taiwan as an opportunity to counter China. And this was explained last year by Raymond Green who at the time he was serving as the deputy director of the US's de facto embassy in Taiwan. And he explained how the US had changed its approach Over the past three years. So he said this in 2021. So he's speaking about the previous three years, you know, the end of the Trump administration into the beginning of the Biden administration. And he said, quote, the United States no longer sees Taiwan as a problem in our relations with China. We see it as an opportunity to advance our shared vision for a free and open Indo-Pacific, end quote. So free and open Indo-Pacific is this new jargon that you hear. It's similar to the rules-based order that they're always talking about. Basically means a U.S.-dominated world, U.S. um, where the U.S. is still the dominant superpower. Um, And then another significant change in the U.S. um, policy toward Taiwan has been the rhetoric coming from President Biden who has said that the U.S. would defend Taiwan if it's attacked by China, breaking from the decades-old policy of strategic ambiguity. Now, Biden said this four times, and the White House walked it back three times, and they kind of walked it back a little this last time, but then uh, Kurt Campbell, who was his top Asia official on the National Security Council, he said, no, we didn't really walk it back. The president's words speak for themselves. So it's definitely a, a major change. And Congress, Blinken's comments come as Congress is working to give Taiwan $10 billion in military aid. They're trying to include this. The Senate is trying to include this in its version of the 2023 military spending bill, the National Defense Authorization Act. Um, So we're not sure who knows what the amount will be when it's all said and done, but it looks like a lot of military aid has come in Taiwan's way. So the U.S. has been doing all this stuff, and then they go and turn around and say that China is the one um, that's changed its approach. Uh, so it's just important context when, you, when we talk about Taiwan and China. All right, so the next one here, uh, we left up the one from yesterday about the $10 billion in military aid that the Senate is trying to give Taiwan. And then the next story here, uh, the U.S. ambassador to the U.N. proposes military intervention in Haiti. So at the U.N. on Monday, the U.S. and Mexico said that they are preparing a resolution to authorize military intervention in Haiti to help the government deal with protesters and armed groups that are calling for Prime Minister Ariel Henry's resignation. U.S. Ambassador to the U.N. Linda Thomas-Greenfield made the announcement at an Emergency Security Council meeting that was called over the situation in Haiti. And this confirms reports that I went over the other day about the U.S. favoring uh, sending a multinational rapid action force to the country. So according to AP, Thomas-Greenfield said that the proposed deployment would be a non-U.N. mission led by a partner country that was not named, and it would have the mandate to use military force if necessary. She said the resolution is a response to the Enri government's request for international assistance. Also on Monday, UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres called for armed action in Haiti. An armed group known as the G9 family and allies has blockaded a key fuel terminal in Port-au-Prince and is calling for the government for the resignation of the Prime Minister Henry. Guterres said, quote, I believe that we need not only to strengthen the Haitian police, strengthening it with training, with equipment, with a number of other measures, but that in the present circumstances, we need an armed action to release the port and to allow for a humanitarian corridor to be established, end quote. So he's saying that the UN, you know, that they should send in forces to break, I guess, this blockade, This uh, these people that have surrounded this fuel terminal. Um, and from pictures and videos I've seen, you know, they look like they're pretty armed. So that would probably take a pretty serious uh, effort there. And these protests in Haiti, they were sparked by the government's announcement that it would stop subsidizing fuel. And Enri has led the government, uh, led the country since the July 2021 assassination of President uh, Jovenel Moise. And he was gunned down in his home by a group of mostly Colombians um, said to be mercenaries. And many of them were former Colombian military that were, that, and some of them were previously trained by the Pentagon. But uh Who ordered the killing has not been solved or it's not publicly known as the investigation has been stalled. Um, Yeah, that's definitely something I'm going to keep a close eye on. Uh, The next one here, Israel is infuriated by Australia because they reversed their recognition of Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. So Australia announced this on Tuesday that it was reversing their recognition of Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. The government of Australian Prime Minister Anthony Albanese is reversing a decision that was made by his predecessor, Scott Morrison, and he followed the U.S. in recognizing Jerusalem as Israel's capital. The Trump administration did it in 2017, and Morrison's government did so the following year in 2018. So the U.S. recognition involved moving the U.S. embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem But the Australian embassy is still in Tel Aviv. It never moved. And that's where uh, Penny Wong, the Australian foreign minister, said that uh, it'll stay in Tel Aviv. And Israel's foreign ministry responded by expressing its deep disappointment in Australia. And um, uh, Israeli foreign ministry officials called it a wretched decision. And Yair Lapid, the Israeli prime minister, also harshly criticized Australia's decision. So Israel is not happy with this move by is by Australia. And, um, you know, Trump took a lot of steps to really increase U.S. support for Israel. And Biden hasn't reversed any of them, uh, none that I could think of, um, you know, such as this one uh, and declaring uh, no longer considering Israeli settlements in the West Bank illegal. Uh, That was another pretty significant one because under international law, they are. Um, All right, so the next one we got here, nearly 60 killed in intra-rebel fighting in northwest Syria. So over the course of 10 days, fighting has raged in northwest Syria between Turkey-backed rebels and Islamists centering on al-Qaeda's Hayat Tahrir al-Sham. That's HTS. And a lot of people were killed, 48 combatants and 10 civilians, according to uh, reports from that area. Um, so there's been a lot of fighting between these groups and this is in the Northwest in, in and around the Northwest Idlib province, which is still controlled primarily by HTS, which is an Al Qaeda affiliate. Um, all right now the last one here. So this is a report from the project on government oversight, and it's pretty interesting. Uh, It just says how the State Department is approving former service members work for foreign interests. So former generals and, you know, high up military officials have been taking jobs for foreign governments. And that requires the State Department's approval. And this report found that more than half of all waivers authorized ties with authoritarian regimes, uh, including Saudi Arabia. And it names uh, it's just an interesting report if you want to go. Check it out. It's pretty detailed and it names a lot of these uh, retired generals that are that are out there making money, working for Saudi, you know, the the, the UAE and, and places like that. Uh, but that's it for the news for me. Um, we have a lot of good viewpoints, as always, including one by Patrick McFarlane about aid to Ukraine and Taiwan and how we should, uh, you know, not uh, how we should end it. Um, but. Uh, you can um, support antiwar.com, help us with our fundraiser, antiwar.com slash donate, contact me, contact the show, email news at antiwar.com. Again, we're on rumble odyssey and YouTube is where you can find the video. And if you want to listen audio, you could download wherever you listen to podcasts and share the show. Tell your friends uh, it's growing pretty good. Uh, it has been uh, gaining a lot of listeners. Um, but, you know, tell tell more people about it. Let's grow it a little more. Uh, but that's it for me for today. I'll be back with more news tomorrow. Thank you.